Praise the Lord. Mason, why don't you keep playing just a little bit longer? Why don't you stand to your feet? And I just feel after a song like that, we just need to thank God just a minute. Don't you? Could we just slip our hands to heaven and just say, Lord, we love you? You know, I, I never said that in church as a boy. To just close my eyes and kind of forget everybody else and say, Lord, I love you. And just to say, Lord, I want to thank you for loving me. Let God hear, let God hear you say that now. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for reaching out to me when I wasn't looking for you. Thank you for picking me up when I, when I fell. And thank you for not throwing me away when I mess up. And Lord, we just want to say that we want to know you more. Could you just pray that right now? Say, Lord, I, I want to know you more. I don't want to just know about you. I, I don't want you to be the man upstairs. I, I want to know you as one who sticks closer than a brother, a father, a faithful friend. We just welcome your presence today. Welcome, Lord. Come on, just let the Lord hear you say that. Lord, I welcome you in my life. I, it's like he stands at the door and knocks, and we want to open the door to him in every way we know how and say yes in Jesus' name. And everybody say it. Come on, give the Lord one more big hand here. And we're going to open the Bible. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them they're looking good. And we're going to make our way to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, we're going to continue a series I started called, I Wish You a Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y, Christmas Through the Eyes of Mary, the Mother of Jesus. But before I do, I have gotten an early Christmas present I want to show you. There's a little picture behind me here. I am getting a daughter-in-law. In November, my oldest, my son John, and uh, they're getting married in June, and uh, the Miller family's pretty excited. But I got another picture of what someone said they were giving me for Christmas that excited me as well. I haven't seen this one yet, but I want to show you this one. <laughs> now, don't try to imagine that in full use just a second. Uh, I am an avid, avid turkey hunter. And when my wife saw this, I could see the wheels spinning. I'm married to a woman that says she didn't want dead animals on the wall of her house. Somehow turkey beards and turkey wings and feathers have found their way into my house, though. But I feel that if I were to receive this for Christmas and actually try to use it, I'd have to build a little house outside. It's called an outhouse for you familiar with the olden days. Just a joke there. I hope I don't have to make that decision. Let me give you just a little background of Christmas. History of Christmas. Christmas, of course, the word Christmas literally means Christ Mass. Mass being the term that Catholics use is a worship service. Christ Mass, the worship of Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah, which means the Savior of the world. Um, this first celebration of Christmas, what we call the Nativity, it's the picture of the manger scene and all that goes with it, Joseph and Mary. That was first celebrated in Rome in about 336. So after Jesus was born, the next year, they didn't have Christmas lights hanging all over Jerusalem, okay? Now, you that are thinking, I know they didn't have electricity back then, okay? Just bear with me just a little bit. They, the, the, the term Christ Mass, as official term, was, began to be used in about 1123. And the word Christmas became common in the vernacular at 1568. Now, the actual date of Jesus' birth is unknown. But I thought it real cool why we picked December 25th. Let me tell you why. Uh, December 25th, it was chosen to replace a major pagan festival called the Unconquerable Sun. Now, maybe you've heard the term winter solstice. 
There's many in America today that that's what we want to celebrate again, a winter holiday, the winter solstice. That's a recognition that after the longest night, the day that follows, the sun triumphs, hence the sun of, uh, of righteousness. Now, it's interesting, this sun god was one of the primary gods of the, of the Roman world, Roman Empire. They worshiped the sun. And when Constantine became a Christian, the world was Christianized, probably to some degree because of Paul's influence when he went there, brought the gospel to Rome. When he Christianized the world, uh, this pagan festival was replaced because Jesus is the son of righteousness, according to Malachi 4.2, and Jesus is the light of the world, according to John 8. So that's what Christmas is about. It's about the celebration of Christ. Today we'll look at the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, a little background first. You remember... When we talked a couple weeks ago, we talked about the angelic encounter when Mary, uh, the angel Gabriel, came to her. Well, after that scene, she goes to visit her relative Mary. Now, Mary is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. It's a pretty interesting story. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. After Mary encounters the angel, uh, likely Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. She enters the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, we'll talk about them. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby leaped in her womb. So this is pretty incredible. The next verse says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So a lot of big things happening, but what I want you to know, John the Baptist was in the womb of Elizabeth. When he heard Mary's voice, he started jumping around. And all you ladies that have had children, you know what it's like for the kid to move. Well, the Bible teaches us that this was not fetal material that was jumping around. So it's not the product of conception jumping around. This was a living human being, and that's why I encourage Christians to stand for life and life that's, that's in the womb. But, but let's, uh, let's look at the story. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah were godly people. Zechariah was a priest. He was a Jewish priest, which means he worked at the temple. He was involved in all that went on there. Uh, the Scripture would go on to tell us, though, a little bit more about them. Um, of course, Elizabeth is too old to have a baby. God's going to do a miracle. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. But the reasons here, I think, are learning, uh, learning experiences for us. Now, Luke chapter 1, if we went back a little bit, the Scripture describes these two, uh, John, uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Put that up if you can. And notice how they were described. They were righteous before God. And how many know they were righteous just like we are through faith in the sacrifice? The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were anticipating the New Testament sacrifice of Christ. But how many know blamelessly serving the Lord implies not perfection, but people that are doing their best to live the Christian life, to follow the teachings of the Bible? So they're model believers. But the strangest verse is after that, verse 7. It said, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they're both advanced in years. Now, I want to suggest to you, let's say they're in their mid-60s now. Let's say they got married at 20. They've had 40, perhaps even 50 years where they wanted to have a baby and couldn't. These people lived with disappointment. Now, this is something that we find, it's almost unspoken, but we feel like if we're living a righteous, godly life, and, you know, we're really serving the Lord, that everything's just supposed to go well. It's kind of an unspoken deal, isn't it? I mean, if I do right, then God's going to bless me. I'm not going to have problems. But this scripture speaks loud and clear to us that sometimes we can be living a godly, righteous life, 
but still have something that we're waiting on God, a prayer that's unanswered, a disappointment, a struggle to live with, pain that follows us, but we're still in right relationship with God. Now, this is a powerful thing because even at the Christmas season in particular, lots of us are disappointed because the older you get, the less Santa comes down the chimney. You understand what I'm talking about? Santa doesn't come down the chimney anymore. The postman delivers the credit card bill in January, and that's when the problems start. But I would suggest, and you would agree probably, that they prayed, but nothing happened. And these godly people, or nothing happened yet. But these godly people had a choice in how they would deal with their pain. They could either get bitter and angry at God, and I've seen it, or they could choose to keep on loving and serving God. And it is a choice, friend. It is a choice when you are facing difficulty in your life. It is a choice that my wife and I made when Linnell was diagnosed with cancer several years ago. That in spite of all this, in spite of the, the confusion, the where is God, blah, 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 blah. In spite of all the voices, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live for God and we're going to do our best to live for Him and make a difference in this world. And that's exactly the choice we need to make. So perhaps you find yourself in their situation. Uh, you're praying, you're living right, nothing's happened. But let me say this, it hadn't happened yet for them. Because in God's timing, John the Baptist was born. And he was one of the greatest people that ever lived this earth. And listen, God had in mind all along for Elizabeth and Zechariah. The only problem, they just didn't know what God was doing. But how many know your circumstances may be lousy, but God is still a good God? Let me say it again. Your circumstances may be lousy, but God is still a good God. And because they continue to serve and love the Lord, when God's time came, that prayer was answered and their attitude opened the door for a miracle. Praise the Lord. All right, let's look in Luke chapter 1 now. Let's look at Mary's song. It's, what, it, it's called the Magnificat. Uh, it's from this word, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's a Latin term, and it's a song that Mary sang. In other words, and it might not have been a guitar song, but, but, but it was a hymn of sorts. Now, uh, when, I, when I teach the Bible, I, and I read the Bible every day. I, I've been a Christian whew, 40 years. I'm not perfect, but I have not fallen in the ditch. And I think the man number one reason is because I take time to be with God every day. Going to church is important, but I would say equally or more important is my daily time with God. And that's why there's a Bible guide in the back of your chair. There's one on the phone app. Read a couple chapters a day. Before I met with you this morning, I met with Jesus. I got here, and I was the first one here, and I was so happy because no one's in the sanctuary but me. No sound men, no lights, no people practicing, and I can be with God right here. But after I prayed a while and the people started coming, I escaped to my office. I opened the Bible and I read the book of Psalms. And after I read the Psalms, I went over and I read in Luke's gospel. And I fed my soul. I learned about God. I didn't just get Bible facts. I got something that I could use in my daily life. And that's what I want to give you through this song. Now listen to what she said. As she sang this song, this is just a young girl, and, uh, but the song is filled with what the Old Testament teaches, allusions and quotes. Luke 146, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now notice, the humble estate of his servant, that's her. As we said the last time we spoke, Mary was poor. 
We know this of a certainty because when it came time, eight days after the child was born, Jesus, they brought him to the temple uh, to dedicate him to the Lord, and you brought an offering. Typically, you would bring a lamb, and a lamb cost a little more, a blameless lamb. But because they didn't have money, they brought doves or pigeons, and that was the uh, allowed sacrifice for the poor. Uh, they were also raised in an obscure village. They were not part of the who's who of Jerusalem. They were, uh, and so she, when she says, humble estate of her servant, it wasn't just her poverty, but it was kind of the life she lived. I mean, she would not have been driving a Cadillac. I, you understand? She'd have been driving something probably a little older, a little uh, maybe broken, something that didn't work a lot. But I mean, she was in humble circumstances. Um, anyway, so that was Mary. She said, verse 48, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's why Mary is so important in the Catholic faith. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. We're going to come back to that. His mercy is for those who fear him. Isn't that interesting? Why in the world, when we're celebrating babies, like a baby shower, so to speak, we're talking about the fear of the Lord opens the door for mercy. We'll talk about that. From generation to generation, he's shown strength. God shown strength with his arm. And listen, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In other words, those that are self-sufficient, those that don't need anybody else, those that have it all together, he's scattering them. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. These are the people of political power, of governmental power, of uh, uh, power in the community. God is bringing them down, and he's exalting those of humble estate. That doesn't mean that God is against wealth. Certainly not. But God is against those who believe they don't need God because they're self-sufficient because of what they have. Uh, verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things. And I'll show you that spiritual hunger. And the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Now, the nation of Israel, very prominent. You know, the nation of Israel has always been God's chosen people. That's why I, as a Christian, support the nation of Israel's not only right to exist, but her future, because from her came the Old Testament, Moses. They were the chosen people. Uh, Abraham, the father of faith, showed us how to relate to God through faith. And, of course, the main thing was Jesus, the Messiah, would be born through the Jewish race. So, anyway, now let me give you four things about what Mary was singing about. And here's where you're going to see something practical that you'll be able to take home and use. But uh, let me give you the first one. And it's this. It's that God can use people who are poor and humble to do great things. God can use those that are poor and humble to do great things. Now, don't just think about how much money you've got in your bank account. I want you to think collectively about the fact that we may not be living in Washington, D.C. or in Austin or in Little Rock. I mean, we may not have Lear jets. I mean, we may not be living the life of the rich and famous. Everyone in this room can qualify for this. So poverty doesn't have a limit like $31,000 or whatever it is. But it's a position in life that God can use us. And here's where I get this. Verse 48. Mary said, God has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. And, of course, she was able to bear the Christ child. Uh, verse 51, here's the contrast. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, pride is something that I, as a Christian, a worldly person, an atheist, an agnostic, anyone can have pride. Pride is simply a belief, spoken or not, that I can live without God. And the tragedy is, is if you have your health and if you have money, you don't need God. Now, you do need God, but the illusion is that if I have freedom, 
and I have money, and I have health, why should I pray? I just go to the restaurant. I just go to Albertsons. I just put out my plastic. If I want something, I just do that. Uh, listen, I can, I'm doing just fine. If I want to go somewhere, I get in my car. If I want to go somewhere else, I get a ticket, I go wherever I want. I, I, I'm running my life. That's pride. He scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Isn't this interesting? Because this has not happened yet. Mary is looking into the future when the kingdom of God will replace this secular world that we live in today, this world of man, and uh, he has exalted those of humble estate. Now, if we look in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel tells us that God cares for society's outcasts. God cares for those that are poor. God cares for those that are hurting and the needy. Even Matthew 25, you remember the scene is that standing before the throne of God. You remember what happens? Standing before God's throne, he separates the righteous and unrighteous. And, and the righteous say, well, how did we get here? And Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And then he said, whatever you did to the least of these, you did it to me. So God is showing us that he cares and he wants us to care for those that are of a humble estate. But let me say this. Our need can often make us humble. And when I say humble, I don't mean that you look like this, or I don't mean that you're, well, I'm a nobody. The Bible says Moses was the meekest man on the earth, but Moses was a powerhouse. Meekness, humility, simply means I depend on God for everything that I have, and I give God credit for everything I'm able to do. That's a powerful, powerful understanding because humble people are dependent on God, and that's what God's looking for. You know, in Jesus' first sermon, when he opened the scroll, he said that he was going to bring the gospel to the poor, to free prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. Lest we forget the Son of God was born in a cave or in a, in a shelter where animals not in the best hotel in Texarkana or the best hotel in Bethlehem, but he was born in a, in a humble circumstance. But Mary's life tells us is that God can use people in humble circumstances. Listen, friend, if you don't have the education you somebody else have, if you don't have the money, if you don't live the right side of the tracks of the interstate or whatever the cause is, if you don't have the right pedigree, if you're not a part of the right clubs, I want to tell you, friends, you are a great candidate for God to use in a big way because you've been stripped from the things of life that give people identity. Come on. And I'm not saying they're bad things, but if you're walking in a life of blessing, you just need to realize that God is the one that gave it all to me. Yeah, I'm preaching better than any meaning here. Now, the proud, and the contrast is this, the proud were self-sufficient, in this case, the ruling rich. And Jesus was going to turn the world system upside down. Uh, the humble poor were social outcasts. They were saved, but the proud rejected salvation, and they received God's judgment. Now, let me say this very clearly. God can use educated, wealthy people, but usually their pride, their self-sufficiency, their independence, their selfishness will cause God to close the door. I have met a few people in my life, Christian people, that God had blessed with great wealth. They were humble people. They Listen, they gave such sums of money that were incredible, but they didn't want anybody to know about it. They didn't want their picture in the paper. They didn't want the front, front row seat. I mean, they realized that God gave it to me. And if you and I can have that recognition that God can entrust wealth to me, listen, and I won't become haughty and big in my own eyes, God could do some big things in your life. How many know that? He could advance his kingdom in a great way. Because if God could entrust trust people with wealth, and they would use that wealth to further the kingdom of God, I'm telling you what, lots of people could be helped, and the gospel could be accelerated around the world. That's, that's what I want to be, and that's what I want you to be. But listen, look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. 
Paul said, brothers and sisters, look at what you were when God called you. And I want you to say this, not many. Not many of you were wise in the way the world judges wisdom. What does that mean? Here's how the world judges wisdom. If I'm in politics in Washington and I've got over 3,000 new regulations I want to put on the American people, I do it the day before Thanksgiving so they don't have time to talk about it. If I'm in Washington and I have imposed on the American people a health care system that they don't as a group want to address a problem that sometimes made worse, and the guy that's the architect behind it calls the American people stupid and he's going to come before Congress, well, that's the very day that I'm going to produce a report or the very time that shows how the CIA has, 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 uh, has tortured people around the world. And I'm going to get you talking about that rather than something else. And then I'll pat myself on the back because I'm a good politician. That's the wisdom of the world. And Jesus said, I don't want anything to do with that. Not many of you were wise. Not many had great influence. Not many of you came from important families. But God chose what the world thinks is unimportant and what the world looks down on. God did this so no one can brag in his presence. How many know God is the one that deserves all the glory? Yeah. So listen, it's a simple, it's a simple lesson here. You don't have to be rich, famous, popular. You don't have to be educated for God to use you greatly. And every one of us in this room, friends, there's other people that you feel the pressure that comes from above you sometimes. Maybe you get out of the car in your parking lot and somebody that's got a nicer, newer car. Or maybe you put your jacket on and someone that's got a different label inside. And, and it's just a pressure in the world. Listen, don't let that pressure keep you down. Mary lived in a, in a class of people that didn't have, and God looked in her heart and she loved God. Come on. She didn't get angry or bitter because she, what she didn't have, she realized that God could use us greatly if we'll walk in humility before Him. So whether we've got a lot or a little, it's an attitude of the heart, come on, that God can use in a big way. Give him a big hand this, uh, this morning. Now, here's another one that's huge. Mary recognized that God was the source of all good things in her life. Verse 49, and she's talking about God. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, mind you, she's pregnant and not by a man, so there was something big. But, but I suggest to you that it's not just the big things in life we need to recognize God for, but it's the little things as well. It's the little things that we need to pause. Listen, when I pray over my food, I, I don't pray over my food because I'm scared it's got salmonella. I mean, our government does a pretty good job of safe food supply. I mean, I mean if something's going to get out, but by and large, that's not the reason I pray. I pray first in the morning that God would give me daily bread. And then when I eat my food, I thank God that he gave it to me because what am I doing? I'm recognizing that every good thing in my life comes from him. Here's where we get it. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me, that's your relationship with God ongoing, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, your life will be productive. You'll do things that matter for God's kingdom. But then he says this, apart from me, you can do now, how many know nothing's not very much? Now, I want you to think of a branch. Now, I love to, to plant things and grow things, and here's something I know. If I break a branch off, if I cut a rose off, I don't care how much water I put it in and how much plant food I put in it, it's going to die because it's been disconnected from the source. And what Jesus is saying, I'm the source in your life. You're a vine, and if you want your life to be fruitful and grow, don't ever pull yourself away from me. And in our case, don't ever think that success is coming apart from me. Uh, we read this scripture often in Acts 17. It's in him, in Christ, we 
live and move and have our being. Powerful scriptures, I'll come back to that. Job said it's in God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So here's what we're looking for, humility that recognizes everything I have, everything I can do, come on, is because of the goodness of God. And here's how this works out. If I'm a surgeon and maybe I've done a surgery a thousand times or 10,000 times and I go in that surgery suite, here's what I want my surgeon to say. And he didn't have to say it out loud. I just want him to pause or I want her to pause and say, Lord, thank you for helping me these last 10,000 surgeries. But now I realize today, if you take away the dexterity from my fingers, I can't do this. If you take away the the eyesight from my eyes, if they go blurry, I can't do this. If I get anxious and fear overwhelms me, I cannot do this surgery. So without you, I can't do anything. Nurse, put on the gloves. I want an anesthesiologist who is super smart, who knows how to pick the right gloves, the right gloves, the right drugs, (laughs) that works with my body chemistry, But I want that anesthesiologist to say this before he puts me to sleep. Lord, I can put him to sleep, but only you can wake him up. And I want to pray, Jesus, that you would do this. Do you understand what humility is? And that's what Mary learned. And God can use humble people. How many want to be one in life? Come on. Yeah, me too. Let me give you another one. Uh, it's, It's an odd one. It's verse 50. God's mercy is given to those who fear him. Now, I was not taught the fear of God when I was young. I just, God was loving, John 3, 16. Uh, Mary said this. Mary said his mercy is for those who fear him, for generation from generation. Now, why is this teenage girl saying this? To fear God, well, first of all, mercy. We know what mercy is. Mercy is pretty easy. Mercy means uh, kindness that I don't deserve. Yeah, everybody wants that. We want mercy. And when you do wrong, what do you want, judgment or Mercy. Yeah, mercy. When you're speeding down the road and uh, you're zooming and the policeman, the blue light comes on, when he comes up, you're not anxious to give him $300, are you? No, come on. You bat your eyes and whatever you do. Or I had an unnamed staff member that got a big ticket coming to church a few Sundays ago. And he told the officer, I'm on my way to church, sir. That didn't help a bit. He... he He probably doubled it. He wanted, we want mercy. But where does mercy come from? It comes from the fear of the Lord. Now listen to this. The fear of the Lord simply means that I respect God enough to obey him. I respect his word that if God's word teaches me something that may be against what I want, I'm going with God's word if I want mercy. He said, Pastor, you don't understand. I really want to be married to someone else. I know, but that's called adultery. And if you have fear of God, come on, it'll keep you from sinning. You say, well, pastor, in spite of what you say, what the church says, I just really feel attracted to someone just like me, another man. Well, you may feel that way, but the Bible says that that's a sinful way, and if you fear God, you'll walk away from it. See, it's not, I have to decide if my feelings are right or, or, or is the Bible right. And if I fear God, come on, I'll obey his commandments. Let me give you a little story here. When I was a boy, it had me know all authority on earth is simply a preparatory for authority in heaven. One day, we're all going to give an account to God. Parents' responsibility of authority is to teach your children how to do right so they get mercy. If the parents fail, that's what the civil authority will do. There's spiritual authority in the church. But if we we reject all that authority, we're going to stand before God one day, and it's going to be a troubling day. When I was a boy, I was a fairly good kid growing up. And uh, I can remember, though, my hero. Let's imagine I was about 9, 10 years old. My hero was Bart Starr. I was a football player. 
And in case you don't know Bart, he was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I had my Green Bay helmet on, and I had my football. And I would walk, by the way, I won punt, pass, and kick in the region for when I was 12 years of age, just in case you might not have known that bit of trivia. But I'd take that football, and I'd go around the house, and I'd throw it, and I'd catch it like I was making a touchdown. And Mom's little chandelier, I mean, we just lived out in the country, so it wasn't a real chandelier. It was a light fixture with six globes on it. But I would go, and I would throw it around, and I would catch it just like I, I, you know, I, I went past the safety. And Mom was not pleased with indoor football. So Mom's rule was no football in the house, son. But Mom's concern was not just for the football. Mom's concern was for the house. And her commandments were basically, don't break the stuff in this house, child, or it's going to cost you. I was also a cowboy. And I had a cowboy hat, cowboy boots, and I got a, it was a Hot Wheel track for Christmas. As I best remember, it, it had a, a, a piece of yellow, like, like plastic rope almost. And somehow these cars would go down it. But it also made a perfect lasso. And as a 10-year-old, I happened to have a sister who was eight or nine. I put on my cowboy hat and my boots, and we were just playing lasso. But guess what I lassoed? I missed my sister. And as I caught that and those little globes started crashing down, one of them even crashed on my head. And my sister's going, Mom, Mom, Mom. And my mom comes in the room. My head is bleeding just a little bit, and she... I'm just glad social services was not around in those days because somebody might have called. But here's what I did. I had broken the rules of mercy. And I said, here's what I said. Mom, please, I want you to spank me. You said, oh, what a good child. No, I knew my father would spank me if my mother didn't. And my dad was, he was John II, and they called him, instead of Junior, they called him Junie. And he had this big, big leather belt, and embossed on the back was Junie. And it was called the Junie belt. And I said, oh, please, 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 don't, don't you spank me. I don't want Daddy to spank me with the Junie belt. I got the Junie belt. But that was still not enough to put fear in me, because my parents taught me the dangers of alcohol. See, my grandfather died as an alcoholic. But when I was 15 years of age, I was a second baseman on the high school team, and uh, we, 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 uh, we were in the district championship, and we lost. But we didn't have a bus. I rode back in the car with a group of seniors, and they stopped at the beer store. Well, am I going to follow the commandments, or am I going to follow the peer pressure? I chose the peer pressure. I chose poorly. Because beer grew into something else. And that something else almost caused a car accident when I was 18 that could have killed me instantly. And when I was 19, that same thing could have had me arrested if I had not, God had not watched over me. What am I trying to tell you? I need the fear of God in my life to keep me in a place of mercy. The love of God is not enough to just have a Jesus that's always oh, just loving. It doesn't matter what you do. You just go ahead and do anything you want to with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Just come to church and it's all okay. It is not okay. God disciplines those he loves. Come on. I need not only the love of God, but I need the fear of God in my life. Come on. I know it. You know it. And Mary know it. L let me wrap up here and, and give me just a couple more minutes. Uh, and this is probably my favorite point, and it's this. God, gives, spiritual, God uh, gives the spiritually hungry what money cannot buy. Let me say it again. God gives the spiritually hungry what money cannot buy. And here's where I get it, verse 53. Mary said... 
God has filled the hungry with good things. Now, that's certainly physical food, but I'm suggesting spiritual. The rich he sent away empty. Now, look, rich people have money to buy food. So he's not talking about, he's not talking about physical. He's talking about spiritual hunger. Most rich people are self-sufficient and aren't aware of their need for God. But listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 3. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, not the physically impoverished, but poor in spirit. Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how many say that's pretty important? The New Living Translation says, blessed are those who realize their need for God. Uh, the Message Bible says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and more of His rule in your life. So this idea of spiritual hunger, let me, let me say something that might shock you. It's, it's uh, kind of tweetable. There are some advantages to being poor and not having everything we want. Let me say it again. There's some advantages of not having everything we want. As a parent, I want to give my kid everything they want, but in so doing, I could create a monster. Because it's this place of need. Outward need can create spiritual craving. It can only be satisfied by God. Some cravings can't be satisfied by money. If you have everything the world offers, I suggest you will not hunger for God. And if you do not hunger for and thirst for righteousness, you won't be filled. You know why we have Christmas presents? You know why those kids got so excited? And I appreciated their little answers about, you know, Jesus and family. And that, I'm right with them there. But come on, they're just like me. I'm 57 and I want a present under that tree. <laughs> I don't necessarily want that turkey toilet, but, but I, I, I want something from Cabello's. I mean, no, listen, God created Cabello's. It was on the eighth day, I think, after he rested, he created Cabello's. But why do we want presents? Now, let's get real just a second. We want to be happy. And, and, and presents make us happy. Don't problem, they only make us happy just a little while. They make us happy until they break or happy until they go out of style. Why do you think when you, you, you have sought for this? Listen, my, my, my mother makes things, and she makes, uh, you know, crochets and all. I mean, it could be gloves. It could be just scarves, shirts, or whatever. And this poor grandma has spent hours and 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 hours, and hours making this thing for this child. This child opens it up and goes, whoa, where's the next one? Or you go out and spend $100 on whatever, a pair of blue jeans, come on now, with holes in them, that you could have just bought for 20 bucks at Sam's, hooked them up behind your car, drug them behind the car through town, put some Clorox on them, they look the exact same way. But you buy these $100 pants, and they open it, whoo, and where's the next one? It's the rush of happiness. And when it's all over, in their sense of, is there any more? What is that? Is we're looking for something that money can't buy. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not against presents. If you've got extra, give them to me. But, but, but money can't buy everything. Come on, there's some things that only God can give. God can make you happy if you're in humble circumstances. Now, listen, not all people in humble circumstances, listen, some people steal and act like street thugs and hoodlums, come on, that are poor. But if you draw closer to God, if you open the door to God, if you let your need become a place to awaken spiritual hunger in your life, come on, joy and happiness and contentment can be gifts from God, come on, that can do more than any present under the Christmas tree. And Mary learned that God can give me something, come on, that money cannot buy, and it's from the hand of God Almighty. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Let me wrap it up with this. Mary's grateful, had a grateful heart 
and she praised God for his goodness. Remember Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And let me tell you what Mary was praising God about. She praised God because God can use poor, humble people to do great things. Mary was thanking God because she realized God is the source of all good things. Mary was praising God because God's mercy comes to those who fear Him. And she praised God because He gives the spiritually hungry what money cannot buy. Mary wasn't rich. She wasn't on the who's who's list of Jerusalem. And she didn't live coveting what she didn't have. Mary found a way to just be grateful for the goodness of God to those that were undeserving. And that's why Mary was singing. And that's why we should we sing too. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. Worthy of our praise. Why don't we stand to our feet today and, and why don't we just do this just a minute? We would like to close our service. Is a, we have a time of prayer and we'll make place for that. But I want you to just kind of stay with me just a minute. And could we just shut the rest of the world out, maybe even close our eyes and just lift our hands and hearts to heaven and say, Lord, thank you. Could you just say it out loud? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Come on, let him hear you say it. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you, Lord, that you found me when I was not looking for you. And Lord, you picked me up every time I've fallen. Come on, thank him today. Thank God for the privilege of being adopted in the family of God. God loves me. Thank you, Lord, that I can be happy no matter what's under my Christmas tree. That I can find a joy in Jesus that supersedes it all. And we just want to say it together. You are worthy of it all. Come on, Pastor Nick, just lead us in this. You are worthy.